Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome to episode 38 of the Snyder Cuts. I am your rugged host, Jeff Snyder, senior film reporter at Collider.com, and today we have a jam-packed show for you. Let's start with the big news of the week. Batman Returns, baby. Michael Keaton's Bruce Wayne is coming back to the DCEU. Crazy. He's going to be in the new Flash movie, apparently, serving as a kind of mentor to Ezra Miller's Flash. Uh, And and apparently the plan is to sort of have him show up in multiple DC movies, sort of like the way that they use Sam Jackson's Nick Fury in the MCU. This is just like, it's crazy to me because a few years ago, it wasn't long ago, five, six years ago, that Michael Keaton was getting an Oscar nomination for Birdman where he was sending up the fact that he played superheroes since then, you know, he, he's played the, what the vulture in, in uh, the, the Spider-Man homecoming. Like he's just going right back to, to the well. Um, but you know what? I love Michael Keaton. So I will take, you know, any, any way I can get him, I'll take it. Uh, do I think that, the, you know, that this idea is a good one. I think it's a good idea for maybe other DC movies that could use the help who could use, character not just like Batman but an actor like Michael Keaton uh it's a bit weird with Matt Reeves filming the you know the the Robert Pattinson movies which are supposed to launch a trilogy and that is going to be a standalone trilogy um so I I kind of get it in the sense that you weren't really going to use Pattinson's Batman in the larger DC universe so it seems like Batman for now will be and an older guy, unless, you know, Bruce Wayne passes the Batman mantle on to somebody or something like that. Um, and of course, this all sort of goes hand in hand with Henry Cavill also coming back as Superman. We don't know to what extent he's not expected to get a standalone solo film like a sequel to, to Man of Steel or anything. But he's expected to make some kind of cameo appearance, whether it's Aquaman 2 or Black Adam or what I think it'll personally be Shazam too. I mean, they, they teased Superman at the end of Shazam. Shazam is, is the movie that I think would benefit from a Superman cameo the most. You know, if you're Aquaman, you already made a billion dollars. You know, you know you have that audience. Uh, that, that, that audience is going to show up. So I don't think you necessarily need a Superman cameo. With Black Adam, you've got the rock starring. So yeah, to me, Shazam 2 makes the most sense for that. But clearly a lot happening, uh, you know, in, in the DC universe. Marvel has been very quiet these past few months as we wait for Black Widow to come out. I mean, there's been a few rumors here and there about Guardians of the Galaxy type stuff. Um, but for the most part, it's been pretty quiet in the MCU front. So I like that the DC universe is at least taking the opportunity to steal the spotlight. Um, yeah, Michael Keaton. Wow. Never thought I would have seen it. And it's so weird that it happens. And let's just talk about this right now. Uh, You know, the day, I don't know if it was the same day or the day after that uh, Joel Schumacher passed, who directed Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. Um, Now the trades led their, you know, that was like the, the breaking news headline. Joel Schumacher, director of Batman films, dies at 80. Guys, what world are we coming to? We've been so ingrained. And like, you know, yesterday I wrote a story about David Leach. And I described him as Deadpool 2's David Leach. Like, we've become so accustomed to searching out, has this person ever been associated with a comic book movie? And if so, let's let that just define them for the rest of their careers. Uh, That it's like, in death, for Joel Schumacher to be referred to as the director of Batman films it's just an utter slap in the face. It is disrespectful. And I'll tell you, I, I, I don't think Variety ever would have done it if my buddy Stu Oldham was still the dot-com editor over there. It, it's like, you got to have someone with a sense of film history. Joel Schumacher made at least, at least four great movies in my book. And those are Falling Down, which I think is ultimately going to be, you know, proved to be his masterpiece, his masterwork, whatever you want to call it. I know it's a controversial film, 
Maybe it hasn't aged that well. Maybe it, it totally holds up. Uh, but it really encapsulated that white male rage um, of the early 90s. And, you know, Michael Douglas, I think he said it's, a fav- it's his favorite performance that he's ever given. Michael Douglas is terrific in it. Du- Robert Duvall is really good. Falling Down, incredible. Uh, the Lost Boys. I saw some serious hoity-toity critics uh, dismissing The Lost Boys. Lost Boys is one of the most iconic vampire movies. I mean, you've got the Corys, Jason Patrick, Kiefer Sutherland, Diane Weist. Like, uh, no, Lost Boys is amazing. I love the way that he shot that one. He's the only director, and I do mean only, as I wrote in my appreciation piece, to understand the power of John Grisham. The two best John Grisham movies. Forget Tom Cruise's The Firm and Julia and Denzel's The Pelican Brief and forget Francis Ford Coppola's The Rainmaker with Matt Damon. These are all big stars, you know, that kind of thing. Big directors, no. Joel Schumacher found Matthew McConaughey for A Time to Kill and he, and he did The Client before that, which was, you know, Brad Renfro, one of the great child performances. Like, Joel Schumacher had an incredible eye he, the guy started, he was in the fashion business, worked his way up to become a costume uh, designer for, you know, Woody Allen movies. Like, he did music videos. He, did, he dabbled in television a little. But this guy had an incredible feature resume. He made a lot of other solid movies. Uh, Tigerland comes to mind. It, it's really, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot that Joel Schumacher has done. So for him, in his memory and legacy... To be reduced to Batman films, I was just like, it's not right. It's not right. And, uh, but yeah, he was Joel Schumacher, a gay trailblazer and an icon. He survived the AIDS epidemic of the 80s. Um, he, he said he slept with 10,000 to 20,000 men. I mean, you know, this guy lived a life. He enjoyed life. And uh, I know, you know, that the, the last few years hadn't been particularly kind to his career, um, but Joel Schumacher, in all the tributes that I've read, uh, is, is a guy who will be missed. Um, I have another, uh, you know, someone else died this week, and I, and I, I do want to tell a story about him, but I, I want to switch real quickly to Twister. There's a Twister reboot in the works over at Universal, and I can see it. I mean, I, I kind of love Twister. Twister is the movie that started my movie obsession my movie going obsession like uh i saw it i think it was opening i think i even saw twister a couple weeks early because i remember seeing it in late april of 1996 it didn't come out till may 10th of 1996 maybe there was some kind of sneak preview uh but i could have sworn i saw it april 27th 1996 i had the ticket stub and i have kept every ticket stub or program or something to commemorate seeing a movie when possible of course I've kept every ticket stub since Twister. It all started with that movie. Number two was Mission Impossible, which came out about 12 days after Twister. Um, Joseph Kosinski is going to be directing this reboot. Uh, he did Oblivion for Universal, but he's also behind you know, Top Gun Maverick. And that movie, I'm not a Top Gun guy. I really don't think the original Top Gun is a very good movie. The new one looks amazing. It's just the way that it's shot. I love the way it's cast, uh, the music, like everything about it. I think it looks great. So I think Joseph Kosinski is really going to pop like in a major way off of the Top Gun movie in a way that he didn't off of, you know, the Tron legacy. And so it's a a smart play by Universal to get in business with this guy. I do think Twister, as much as I have a soft spot for it, it's, you know, it's hardly a perfect movie. I think Honest Trailers had had fun with it the other uh, week. Maybe it was a month ago or so. Um, but, you know, you've got cows flying around and just sparks, lots of sparks and this, you know, marital drama going on. And I think there is a way to improve Twister, particularly with, you know, the effects have certainly come a long way since the mid-90s. So uh, I, I like the idea of hiring Joseph Kosinski on that one um, by Universal. Universal also uh, tapped Elizabeth Banks this week to star in The Magic School Bus. They're doing a movie based on that series of uh, scholastic books. Uh, no, no director or, or writer yet, I don't think, just a bunch of producers. But I remember The Magic School Bus as a kid. You know, it, it's fun. I, I It... it, it allows kids to explore science and history. I think Elizabeth Banks is, you know, kind of a good fit for, for Miss Frizzle. Um, it certainly went over well in my mentions today. And, you know, this is another 
it's a recognizable IP that gives Universal the chance to do, you know, to, to make a, a family-friendly hit that doesn't have any minions in it. Uh, it's just another big yellow thing. School bus. So good for them. Um, let's circle back to that, that other death, uh, because I've been telling this story all week uh, as soon as I read it on Facebook. It was amazing. Um, Steve Bing died. He, I, I, I wrote that he committed suicide by jumping off a building in Century City at the age of 55 this week. Of course, I got you, you can't say anything on Twitter. It's like, it's like they ex, everyone expects you to have this handbook of how to do things perfect. Apparently, committed suicide is offensive, and I should have said, you know, because committed is used for crimes, and so I, I should have said he died by suicide, or not mentioned suicide at all, and just said he was dead. It's like, you cannot win. You know, I'd love to invite the internet into my shoes when you're trying to put out a tweet or a story, and just have them get all the decisions right, and all the nomenclature, and make sure no one, you know, from a hundred different boxes is being offended. Um... Uh, you know, anyway, Steve Bing, RIP, this this guy, yeah, there have definitely been some Jeffrey Epstein rumors. I mean, he ran with Epstein and Ron Burkle and Bill Clinton. And, you know, rich guys, when you have that kind of wealth, you get up to some shady shit, most likely. I don't know. I'm not, I don't know the guy. I'm not here to cast dispersions. I'm just saying that those are out there. The Steve Bing, I want to talk about is the Hollywood Steve Bing, who lost millions of dollars, uh, you know, paying for um, Warren Beatty's most recent movie, Rules Don't Apply, which is like, you know, how do you get suckered into even doing that? Who in their right mind would think that the public is going to show up to a Howard Hughes movie starring Warren Beatty? Um, (laughs) He also wrote Kangaroo Jack, and that's the story that I want to share with you. So Kangaroo Jack was co-written by Steve Bing and Scott Rosenberg, who is from Needham, Massachusetts, where I'm from. Facebook friends with Scott Rosenberg, and he posted an incredible story about how Kangaroo Jack came to be. Him and Steve Bing were in the back of Tom Virgin's Irish bar, which I've been to a couple times when I used to work at Variety. And Steve Bing was telling him the story of a friend of, uh, you know, it happened to a friend of a friend of his who, you know, they were riding around in the Australian outback and they hit a kangaroo by accident. It darted out in front of the road. They hit this kangaroo. They, they start freaking out. They feel terrible. Um, and then they're like, okay, well, you know, let's try to see the comedy of this situation. And sure, this is a little dark, but they start taking photos with this dead kangaroo. And, and they're funny photos. They, one guy even takes off his blazer, puts it on the kangaroo, and dresses him up in human clothes. And that is when the kangaroo wakes up. The kangaroo was not dead. And it bound off into the Australian brush with this guy's blazer on. And the guy's passport and all of his money was inside the jacket. So Steve Bing's telling Scott Rosenberg the story. And Scott's like, that's a movie. That's hilarious. And Steve's like, all right, let's go pitch it. So the first place they go is MGM. And they get in the room. And the MGM guys are like, listen, thanks for coming today. But we're not buying any pitches. Uh, we've been burned by pitches recently. We're only buying full scripts. Uh, and, and Scott Rosenberg's like, well, what the hell? You know, he wants to call his agent and, and, and bitch her out because it's like, this is a waste of time. I've got to do a zillion pitch meetings today across town. Why am I at this one if they don't buy pitches? Steve Bing is like, all right, well, we're here, guys. Do you want to at least hear it? It's kind of funny. They're like, sure. So they, they pitch it. They get out of the meeting. They're walking back to their car, Steve and Scott. And Scott's on the phone with his agent. And he's, and he's screaming at her. And, when he's, uh, and, and the agent interrupts and says, Scott, are you done? Are you done screaming at me? And Scott's like, yeah. She goes, well, I just got a $500,000 offer from MGM for that pitch on the time that it took to leave the office to get to their car. And so it was all about this story about how this very R-rated uh, Kangaroo Jack pitch got turned into this horrible family movie uh, with Jerry O'Connell and Anthony Anderson. And it's definitely one of the worst movies of all time. Um, but hey, it got Steve Bing paid. Not that he needed the money, having inherited $600 million when he was a, a, a junior in college. Um, anyways, I just thought it was a funny story, but yeah, RIP Steve Bing, he clearly had, had some, some demons he was dealing with. Uh, I think, you know, I'd read about depression. A lot of people are depressed right now, given the pandemic that we're in and, and we're all socially isolated, not seeing our friends. Some of us aren't even seeing our family members. Um, so, you know, if you guys are having any kinds of thoughts like that, make sure to, to call, you know, some kind of hotline, call friends, get help. Um, because it's never, it's never the, the, the way out. Uh, but, it, you know, Steve Bing clearly felt that it was for him. Um, what else do we have this week? We've got news on Lord and Miller. 
signing on to do an Apple murder mystery comedy series called The After Party. This one actually sounds like a lot of fun. It, uh, it, it takes place after a high school reunion. Uh, and it's like, I, I've been to a couple high school reunions. I don't remember any after parties going on. Maybe I wasn't cool enough to get the invites. Um, but yeah, people have kids and I don't know. Like, I don't remember any after parties going on. But anyways, in this one, someone obviously dies. And so everyone at this after party sort of comes under suspicion. And each, it's an eight episode series. Each episode is going to be told from the perspective of a different character and using a different uh, kind of, you know, j- uh, film genre, you know, that, that is tailored to that person's personality. Um, so that sounds pretty interesting. Lord Miller also brought on uh, Drew Goddard to help them crack the story for uh, the Ryan Gosling astronaut movie, uh, Project Hail Mary or Hail Mary. I don't know what the hell this thing is called. Um, Drew Goddard. It's like Lord Miller, I, I think of as, as, as more comedic minded filmmakers. And even though, you know, there is humor in Cabin in the Woods and Battle at the El Royale, I didn't particularly think of those movies as terribly funny. So, so to me, Drew Goddard is more of a dramatically minded guy. Maybe that balance is perfect for this. I, I'm still not sure what the tone of Hail Mary is supposed to be. It's based on an upcoming book by Andy Weir, who wrote uh, The Martian, which was turned into an Oscar-nominated movie by Drew Goddard. So he's kind of perfect for it. Part of me does wonder, though, could there be... If Drew Goddard is coming on to help crack the story, but not committing to writing it yet, like, I wonder if he's busy with something else. And I wonder if him and Gosling have some kind of of relationship. Because if, if you recall, Ryan Gosling's Wolfman movie is in the works at Universal... MGM had to go to Universal to get Donna Langley's blessing to have Lord Miller direct this astronaut movie because Lord Miller had just signed a rich, you know, first look deal with Universal. So Universal is giving these guys, you know, they're paying for the overhead. They want these guys making movies for them. Now MGM is dangling this carrot saying, come make this astronaut movie. They had to get Universal's blessing. I wonder if MGM had to give anything up or, or, or whatever. I don't know where I'm going with this. The, the point is, hear me out, the theory is, what if Drew Goddard is also working with Ryan Gosling on this Wolfman movie? Because, by, you know, we'd heard that they were going to be making a, a decision on the director soon. It was supposed to be Corey Finley, who did Thoroughbreds and the Hugh Jackman movie Bad Education. Um, he has, has yet to sign on, or at least it's yet to be reported. And so as of right now, as of this taping, the director's chair is technically still open. Drew Goddard would kind of, kind of be perfect for a Wolfman movie. Uh, he, he's got that dark genre sensibility, and now he ha- clearly has a relationship with Gosling if he's going to be working on this astronaut movie. So who, who knows? Who knows what will happen? Corey Finley would be a, a, a good choice as well. I just don't know if he has, you know, the, the big-budget VFX kind of background that, that Drew Goddard does. Um, and speaking of that Wolfman movie, I, ha- I have to call out my old boss, Jason Blum. God bless him. Uh, I, I am a big Jason Blum guy, but, uh, you know, he did an interview with, with Den of Geek this week, and, and I guess they asked him about the Wolfman movie, and he was like, I don't, I don't know anything about that one. And, and maybe that's the diplomatic answer because he's not involved in it personally as a producer, but if Den of Geek, you know, if they had been paying attention, Jason's wife wrote the Wolfman movie for, for Ryan Gosling. So I'm pretty sure Jason Blum has a, a good idea of what's going on with that project. There were also no producers announced for that project, so it's like, I just don't know who else they would they would assign it to. Um, although maybe it's it's a little bit maybe maybe it's a step up from the typical Blumhouse fare. The last few Blumhouse movies that I've seen have been horrible. Uh, Run, sweetheart, run, and you should have left uh, was not very good. I mean, it wasn't terrible, but it, it was not good with Kevin Bacon. Uh, and then Fantasy Island. I mean, he's, Blumhouse has three of the worst nine movies that I've seen this year. They also have the best narrative film I've seen in, in Invisible Man. So it's like a, a real Jekyll and Hyde kind of company over there. Um, what else do we got? You know what? Let's talk about, I just want to make sure that it's, one second. Let me make sure it's safe to do this. All right, it is safe. It's up. Um, Jurassic World Dominion, the third Jurassic World movie, added Campbell Scott to the cast today. Now, this is interesting because Campbell Scott is going to be playing Lewis Dodgson. You may not know who that is. 
But that is the guy in the red shirt from the original Jurassic Park movie who gives Wayne Knight, Newman from Seinfeld, he gives Wayne Knight's Dennis Nedry the Barbasol, the fake Barbasol can of shaving room for Dennis to put the dinosaur embryos in it and whatnot. Um, so they're bringing that character back. He's not going to be played by the original actor, Cameron Thor, because Cameron Thor is now a convicted sex offender. So a lot of, you know, even on like the Jurassic Park wiki trivia fandom, whatever the hell it is, they're like, this character probably won't return because of Cameron Thor. But no, Colin Trevorrow, the director of Jurassic World Dominion, has found a way to bring the character back. He's now the CEO of Biosyn Genetics. And maybe this character serves as the catalyst for why we're bringing back the original Jurassic Park trio of Sam Neill, Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum. Um, there's a lot more to it in our in our you know casting story. So go to Collider.com. Make sure that you catch up on that exciting Jurassic World three news. I'm a big fan of Campbell Scott. I think he's a really good actor. Loved him in Spanish Prisoner. Loved his work on House of Cards. He's probably best known uh, to mainstream audiences for playing Peter Parker's father in the Amazing Spider-Man movies. But yeah, I, again, I, I am in, encouraged by the way that uh, Jurassic World three is shaping up. I was not a big fan of Fallen Kingdom, so it's good to have Colin back in the director's chair for this one. Um, We've got a whole bunch of other stuff. Jeez, this list is never-ending. Speaking of Colin Trevorrow, doing an Atlantis movie, I believe, for Universal. Uh, It's not going to be about an underwater city. Instead, it's about like a a long-lost continent situated somewhere near Africa in India. Uh, and India, um, and it sounds interesting. They're going to have their own advanced technology, kind of like you know what Wakanda did in, in Black Panther. So uh, you know, Colin, he's lining up things for after Jurassic World three, which is now it's slated to hit theaters next June. I'm I'm kind of surprised that date hasn't moved, but uh, you know, if they think they can have it out for next summer, more power to them. Um. Man, there was just so much shit this week. Bill Murray, uh, Aaron Schneider, the director of Get Low, is getting the gang back together. He's got Bill Murray and Robert Duvall starring in this movie, Bums Rush, with Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway is going to be playing a custom boot maker who crosses paths with a stray dog voiced by Bill Murray. And the two teach each other, you know, about about love and life and, and all that jazz. Man, Bill Murray. He, he just voiced a dog in Isle of Dogs for first pal Wes Anderson. He's, you know, infamously voiced uh, Garfield the cat. He just can't get enough of, of voicing uh, animals, apparently. Um, so, he, yeah, he'll, he'll be phoning that one in from, from somewhere in, in the world. Anne Hathaway, you, you deserve better than this. <laughs> the writer of Blood Diamond deserves better than this. Everybody, I feel like, involved. <laughs> Uh, deserves a little bit better than this project. I just, you know, it's not that I have a problem with these kinds of movies. They're cute. Uh, I just seen so, there's just so many dog movies that have come out recently, it seems like. I don't I don't know what that's about. M. Night Shyamalan's new movie got a new release date that's coming out, I believe, next July. So it's going to be a, a big summer mo- movie for Universal. They added three new cast members, including Ken Leung. Love my man, Ken Leung. And if you haven't seen him in uh, Spike Lee's Sucker Free City, it was this TV movie that Spike Lee directed for Showtime. I mean, Spike Lee, we're, and we're going to talk about him. Uh, uh, we can talk about him now, actually. But uh, definitely check out Sucker Free City if you haven't seen it. Track it down. Big fan of Ken Leung. Excited to see what he can do with uh, with M Night. Uh, although I wish I wish there were some more plot details. I, I'm waiting for a leak on that M Night movie. He's keeping everything very top secret. But Spike Lee, as we were talking about, I finished watching *The Five Bloods* late last night, and I liked it. I liked it. I didn't I didn't love it. I think I preferred the first half of the movie when it was more about the Bond. Of, of these guys. And I actually, I really liked um, Spike's decision to cast, you know, not, not to cast younger actors for the flashbacks. And he just has like these 60 year old actors running around in Vietnam um, playing their younger selves. Um, the second half gets a little violent. Like people are start blowing up, stepping on landmines. They're all, there are all these big gun shootouts and shit. Like it's just, it wasn't really the movie that I thought it was going to be. 
thought, you know, maybe we'd see Defy Bloods all standing at the end, and, and it is definitely not that kind of movie. Um, but but I definitely liked it. it. It really, it shows just why Spike Lee is one of our most important uh, filmmakers and one of the, the most necessary storytellers that we have in Hollywood. And I know, you know, he went through a period where it was tough to get his movies made, or at least made on the scale that he wanted them to be. And, and, and I am relieved that we're moving to a point in the culture where I don't think Spike Lee is going to have a problem getting financing for his films going forward. Uh, and that, and that is an important thing. Um, what else did I watch this week? I watched something else. I watched it last night. What the hell was it? Oh, I'm close. I'm, I, it's on the tip of my tongue. What the hell did I watch last night, guys? I have no friggin' idea. Um, anyways, I'm totally blanking. All right. Okay. I got it. (laughs) Forgive me. Eurovision. Eurovision Song Contest. The story of fire saga. What a bizarre title. That's why I couldn't uh, remember it. This was like the inverse. Ooh, Tenet. Don't worry. We're going to talk about Tenet soon. Uh, This was like the inverse of Defy Bloods, where the first hour and it's a full two-hour movie, Eurovision. The first hour, I was like, what is this movie? I don't like these two, you know, Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams. I don't like these characters. It just seems so goofy and not particularly funny. And I couldn't believe some of the good reviews that the movie was getting. And then the Eurovision Song Contest starts. And this movie, I swear to God, moved me to tears a couple of times. I don't know what came over me, but I got into it. I got wrapped up in this story of Fire Saga, and it became emotional. And so I will ultimately have to recommend Eurovision this weekend on Netflix. Don't go in expecting some kind of Will Ferrell laugh riot. I don't think it's that. This is not, you know, it's from David Domkin, the director of Wedding Crashers, but this is not Wedding Crashers. Uh, It's a lot more subtle and, and it's kind of inspirational. I, I, you know, again, I, I take, I tip my hat to, to Netflix and the makers of this movie because it really did make me feel something. Um, David Leach, speaking of feeling something, David Leach signing on to direct a uh, bullet train for Sony. This is an adaptation of some popular Japanese manga that I, I really couldn't find in a, in a Google search or whatever. Uh, although I'm sure it is. Zach Olkowitz is writing the script and yeah, we don't really know, really know what the hell it's about other than it's about a bullet train. And I know a thing or two about bullet trains because for the last three or four years, I've been working with my pal Pete Friedman of Central Track on a fake speed spec script. Speed three, bullet train, tagline, how do you stop a bullet? Only Jack, Jack Trapp knows the answer to that one. Um, yeah, I always, I mean... Speed is on a bus. Speed two is on a boat. Speed three should have been on a bullet train. They're trying to build these bullet trains. I mean, they're big in, in Asia right now, but uh, you know they're trying to do one between Dallas and Houston, one between L.A. and San Francisco. That is going to be the, the wave of the future in terms of transportation. Uh, and so for David Leach to recognize that, clearly great minds think alike, David Leach. Uh, if anybody else wants to make a bullet train movie, hit me up because we will turn our Speed 3 script into something else if you want the same way solo scripts have been turned into franchise sequels like die hard with a vengeance, which was originally Simon says. Um, okay. 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 Leonardo DiCaprio teaming with Barry Jenkins on a feature adaptation of the, uh, the Netflix documentary Virunga, which Leonardo DiCaprio executive produced back in the day. Barry Jenkins is going to be writing the script for this one. It focuses on the, the, park rangers and the, and the nationals, uh, the locals who, who are trying to protect the uh, endangered gorilla population. Um, I just like the idea of DiCaprio and Barry Jenkins working together. You know, hopefully it'll lead to something down the line. And, and it, listen, Leo could possibly take a small role in this. It hasn't been ruled out. It hasn't been ruled out that Barry Jenkins could end up directing this either. Uh, I don't expect either one to happen, but just for that, that Barry is establishing a relationship with Appian Way, I think is a good thing because, uh, I think that they could make a really interesting movie together. Julianne Moore starring in this, she's going to play a con artist in this Apple uh, A24 movie, Sharper. 
not not too many other details beyond that, but I do love the idea the idea of Julianne Moore playing, you know, a, a con artist who's targeting rich Manhattan billionaires. Uh, those guys always deserve to be brought down, and who better than the fantastic Julianne Moore to do it? particularly with the A24 lending its creative expertise. Gerard Butler signing on to star in a movie called Kandahar. It's a familiar premise, you know, guy caught behind uh, enemy lines. People are, are trying to kill him and his translator, blah, 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 blah. It hails from Rick Romanois, who uh, I, I like as a director. He did Shock Collar, which was on my top 10 list. Gerard Butler just had a movie, uh, Gre- right, Greenland. I think that's Rick Romanois as well. Um, that trailer hit today. I think it looks good. That's like he has to, you know, protect his family from a comet. Everybody's trying to get into bunkers and shit. It kind of looks not 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 too uh, dissimilar from the America that we're living in right now. So I'm looking forward to Gerard Butler's Greenland and, you know, maybe Rick Roman Walk can make something special out of this Kandahar movie. VHS is coming back. That anthology horror series you know, hit and miss, some segments better than others, but there have been some real memorable scares in those movies. Now they're doing VHS 94 that will have a, a narrative. It's still going to be divided into segments that will be directed by different filmmakers, but the, you know, these segments will, will link together. They'll make narrative sense as opposed to just being, here's a story about this, here's a story about that with a shitty little uh, framing device around it. The framing devices were never uh, one of the strengths of the VHS franchise um simon barrett though the writer of your next and the guest he's going to be directing a segment along with uh timo tajanto who did uh safe haven that's probably the best uh short that that vhs has done that's from the second film and then david bruckner and radio silence are going to be producing this one which is exciting because uh those are both big names in the genre community radio silence by the way directing the Scream 5 movie, and that got picked up by Paramount this week. Spyglass is producing it, but Paramount will now have the rights to it um, to, to distribute it. And, and thank God for that, because Paramount has just been hemorrhaging movies. Guys, I'm the Segway king. What a great segue. Paramount this week got rid of its Mark Wahlberg movie, Arthur the King. They, they shipped that to Lionsgate. Good riddance, whatever. That's another fucking dog movie. Um, so like, I, I get it. You don't want to pay Mark Wahlberg some gigantic salary, uh, you know, for, for a, a, a talking dog movie or whatever the hell it is. Um, then they shipped the chain to universal. They let or they let that go. Apparently they never had the chain, the deal, you know, which was reported a year or two ago that Paramount was going to be getting that book. Never, never was cons- consummated. So Universal swooped in and then attached Edgar Wright to direct the chain. This is based on the Adrian McKinty book. I read that last summer. It's really good. It's just a great premise. Like the execution maybe could have been a little bit better, particularly the ending, but premise wise, I mean, it's, it's perfect. It's basically a woman's kid gets kidnapped and she gets a call and they say, listen, if you want your kid back, you have to go kidnap another kid. And that's how the cycle goes. It's just like a chain letter. Um, and so it's like, just imagine being a parent. Would you kidnap a kid to get your own kid back? And then, you know, so then it's on that kid's parents to do the same thing. And if that kid's parents go to the cops or do something to endanger their child's life, do you have it in you to take the, to kill the kidnapped child? You can't just let him go. It's a pretty crazy, uh, book, um, exploring some pretty wild, uh, you know, moral questions. And I really like the idea of Edgar Wright tackling this. Like I haven't seen, you know, Edgar Wright has obviously done more lighthearted films, you know, the Cornetto trilogy with Simon Pegg and whatnot, but his new one last night in Soho is a psychological thriller. That's really what the chain is. Uh, You know, it's a kidnapping movie. So I, I really like that fit. And I hope that universal makes that project a priority. Um, right. And then the other thing that Paramount let go of, and this one was like the craziest to me, although I I also understand it. I also understand the business behind it, the rationale. They got rid of trial of the Chicago seven, which looks like it's heading to Netflix. I mean, Netflix is just going to be competing against itself this year at the Oscars, which is messed up. That's why I think they should just, can the Oscars and and award two years worth of movies at the following ceremony, because there's just, what are the studio movies? 
this was supposed to be the big one along with the, the, the French dispatch over at Searchlight. But like, okay, Wes Anderson's movies, they make a certain amount of money. Aaron Sorkin's movies, as revered as he is as a writer, I can see how Paramount may have gotten cold feet about Trial of Chicago 7 because it is the kind of, you know, historical drama, courtroom movie that maybe would not have grossed that much money. And so to do a big award, splashy awards campaign, you know, to, to, to sink all this money into it <clears throat> at a time when box office receipts, you know, anyways may not be terribly healthy given the pandemic, I can understand letting that one go. I, I, it's weird to me that you would just get rid of, you know, your biggest awards contender. But, you know, I also haven't seen the movie. Maybe it didn't turn out that great. I mean, Aaron Sorkin is more of a writer than a director. This is only his second film after Molly's Game. And I really like Molly's Game, but that wasn't much of an awards contender either or a box office hit. So there you, there you have it. Um, okay, we've got a Juneteenth movie musical in the works from Kenya Barris and Pharrell Williams. That sounds kind of interesting, although, you know, not too many... Uh, details. Um, June, Juneteenth has been around, you know, for you know, 150 years or whatever, but it really, it's a burgeoning holiday. You know, I didn't know too much about the holiday until just this year, really. I'd heard about it before, but I really didn't know too much about it. So I read up on it. Um, and we did a, a list of Collider, sort of, you know, uh, a bunch of Black films, but joyful black films, not about slavery or enslavement or, you know, sort of de depressing stuff. They're, they're movies that make you feel good. They're, they're uplifting. And that's what we wanted to promote on Juneteenth. And so I did a little blurb about <clears throat> The Pursuit of Happiness uh, with Will Smith and, and his kid Jaden Smith. A really good movie if you haven't seen that. Um, so check, check, track down that movie. Check out that list on Collider. Alpha Gang, the Zellner brothers, the guys who did Damsel, the Robert Pattinson movie with Mia Wasikowska, and they did uh, Kumiko, the treasure hunter. They are back with this movie, Alpha Gang, which is about a bunch of aliens who come to Earth, and uh, they disguise themselves as a biker gang, and uh, you know, but eventually they start to feel human emotions, and that, that messes with their whole mission. It's a really good-looking uh, cast. You got, you got John Hamm and Stephen Yen and... Uh, Mackenzie Davis, a whole bunch of people. Um, it's a solid ensemble. The, the one that threw me for, for, for this is, you know, I, I think I put the, the link in Slack just to, uh, to get people's thoughts on, and they were like, oh, my God, thirst trap alert. And so that became the editorial direction that I took the story, just like oh, this is a bunch of good-looking people coming together to make the movie. And then Slash Film did the same thing, the same thirst trap thing. It's like – okay, maybe they have the same idea that I did, but more likely that they saw ours and just copied it. We didn't, I didn't call out Slash Film. I like those guys like Chris Evangelista. Uh, I don't know if he even wrote the headline himself. You know, Peter and, and, and Frosty are, are close, but it was definitely an eyebrow raiser, in, you know, a collider being like, really? They went with Thirst Trap too? Hmm. Uh, read this week that Gangs of London, the new Gareth Evans series is moving from Cinemax to AMC. Cinemax is getting out of the, the scripted game. I don't know who the hell watched Banshee. I, I mean, I don't know who the hell has Cinemax anymore. Like, once internet porn was invented, what was the point of Cinemax? Um, so that's going to AMC now. I am pumped for this series. Sign me the fuck up. Dan Gilroy, my boy from Nightcrawler. He is directing this movie Faster, Cheaper, Better. It's about what the future is going to look like with AI and automation. Dan Gilroy is a guy much like Richard Kelly, who like, you know, Nightcrawler, masterpiece. Donnie Darko, masterpiece. And then the next two movies haven't been that great. You know, Roman J. Israel, it's not that it was bad. I just, like, it was kind of a mess. I didn't really know what the hell it was supposed to be. Denzel was amazing in it, but, you know, not, not a great movie um, or one that people will be revisiting anytime soon and then i thought velvet buzzsaw on netflix was kind of a, a disaster you know much like richard kelly's uh, trajectory with southland tales in the box so hoping dan gilroy uh, gets his mojo back so to speak with faster cheaper better there's a chicken run sequel in the works at netflix i can barely remember the first chicken run it was you know charming enough but not not a movie that people hold up as, as one of the great animated films Ardman will be doing the um the animation again, and Mel Gibson will not be back to voice the lead. 
you know, Mel is a very controversial figure these days. I don't think anybody really wants to hear Mel Gibson voicing an animated chicken anyways. So yeah, I'm a Jewish guy, so I'm allowed to have whatever opinion of Mel Gibson that I want. Now, obviously Mel Gibson has said some terrible things, and it sounds like he said some horrible things to Winona Ryder. Nobody's calling her a liar here. Her story has actually been remarkably consistent for the last 15 years or whatever. What I don't understand, though, is... So Winona Ryder repeats the story, which she's totally allowed to do in an interview. But then it's the news stories. It's like a flood of stories picking up Winona Ryder's new comments. And it's like, this is at least a 10 to 15-year-old story. Like, do we have to relitigate it every time Winona Ryder does an interview and, and repeats it? Like... I don't know, maybe, and maybe I'm wrong. It's it's totally possible that, that Mel Gibson is the exact same fucking piece of shit that he was a decade ago, but can we try to give people the benefit of the doubt for changing and learning things? Like, to the best of my knowledge, Mel hasn't said anything in the, in the last decade, so maybe he learned some kind of lesson or was educated. I just, you know, to, to see, you know, the, 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 the Mel Gibson uh, outrage for stuff that he said 10, 15 years ago and already paid a very clear price in the industry for those comments. Like, I'm just not a fan of relitigating these kinds of things. It's like, it's like pulling someone's old tweets. It's crazy. Um, you know, it's just, think, times have changed. Things are different. Yeah, you know, it used to be funny seeing Jimmy Kimmel uh, imitate Carl Malone. Maybe, you know, blackface is something that I never would have done personally. And maybe the blackface element of, of those uh, impersonations were, you know, incredibly offensive. But, like, can, you know, t- let's take that out of it. Can, can Jimmy Kimmel, can a white guy impersonate a black guy anymore? Can a black guy, imp- can a black person in- in- impersonate a white guy? Like, I think that impersonations are mostly, you know, they're, they're done out of love. And so it's like, okay, Jimmy Kimmel, you probably didn't need to put on blackface to do, to do Carl Malone, but can he not imitate Carl Malone and, and his voice and mannerisms? Like, I just, this is comedy. And I don't think that comedy should be sell, uh, held to the same standards. And it's kind of, I don't know. It, it's, it's, I don't think it's a great thing when Tina Fey, you know, to get out in front of a potential scandal, it starts taking episodes of, of 30 Rock away. And, and it's not just the blackface stuff in those episodes. It's like, okay, well, all, imagine and just all the performances uh, in, in those episodes, all the writing, all the jokes, all the little things that maybe other people love. It's all gone. And, and I know it's not gone because you can still get it on DVD or whatever, but it's out of digital circulation. That's what we're really talking about. Uh, and, and I don't know if that is the best move for art. Like, I actually like that that HBO Max put Gone with the Wind back on the service, but with a four-minute sort of video explaining how outdated it was and, and that kind of thing by a black professor of film, I believe. I don't have HBO Max. So I haven't actually seen the file. Uh, but, yeah, I think that that is what we need to do is sort of explain the context in which these things were made and, and not just, like, disappear things forever. You know, I, I have a friend who is a, a, a sitcom writer. And he's only written, you know, one or two episodes of a sitcom. But, like, let's just say, you know, like if that was the only thing that you'd written and, and now no one's ever going to see it, not going to get residuals off of it, maybe, you know, there's the argument you shouldn't get be getting residu- residuals for coming up for with a, a blackface joke or whatever. But I'm just saying that there's more nuance to these things. Um, and, and I, I don't like how reactive, uh, companies have been in certain instances. Okay. When, you know, the show is already said and done that kind of stuff on shows like big mouth and central park, which this week recast two actors who were voicing, uh, characters of color, even though they, they were white themselves or, or whatever. I, that I understand because that is a mistake that should have been, avoided in the first place i I told my dad about it last night he's like well why didn't they just cast a black person to start with uh because we're we're family friends with with jenny slate um and so i thought he'd be interested yeah that is a mistake that should have been corrected at the very outset of things but it wasn't and and i'm glad that it's being corrected now that they will you know have someone who's of mixed race uh, voicing this character or or someone who's black voicing uh, the the character on big mouth um I don't know. I didn't watch Central Park, so I don't know if that character is black or mixed race. But, like, that makes sense because 
okay, maybe Jenny Slate is a bigger celebrity than whoever you get to do that voice. Maybe she had the perfect voice to you, but I don't think that you're going to lose anything. I don't think anybody watching the next season of Central Park is going to say, oh, well, you know, the voice was different and and better last season, and now I'm no longer watching. Like, it's just the right thing to do. So I I commend uh, Apple and and Netflix for taking those steps with regards to those shows. I just think something like 30 Rock, it's like, okay, we did it. Like, this is our history, so now let's fucking own it and try to explain or at least put it in in, in the proper context. Um, Disney, you know, do, doing something similar with, with Splash Mountain, which, you know, there's probably time to, to, to get rid of that shit anyways. Uh, they're going to redo that as a Princess and the Frog flume ride, which, you know, I, I never saw that movie, but sa- sounds exciting. Um, I always liked Splash Mountain, uh, the actual ride, but I didn't give a shit about, like, what the animatronics or what the, the story of the ride was. So, yeah, change it. If it's going to be more inclusive and, and you know, people aren't going to feel uh, offended. And yeah, do it. Um, God, there's there's a juicy lawsuit regarding Enola Holmes this week because Sherlock Holmes is in the public domain. Uh, but the last 10 Sherlock Holmes books that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle wrote were, are not technically in the uh, public domain. And so his estate is now coming after this Millie Bobby Brown movie that's at Netflix. Uh, Howard Reporter did a great story on the drama between producers Roy Lee and um, John Middleton, John Powers Middleton. A uh, lot of crazy drama in that one. Definitely head over to Hollywood Reporter because I can't even summarize the, the craziness in that one. I've known Roy Lee for a while. He's always been a good guy to me, but I also don't think Roy Lee got to where he is in this business without being something of a shark. Uh, and I've also seen billionaires and multimillionaires come and go in this business, it's just like the turnover rate is crazy. Look at the Broad Green uh, brothers who, who had billions of dollars and they got run out of the business in a few years. Middleton sounds like a guy like that who, who got taken advantage of, got taken for a ride. But you got to know that coming in. Like, yeah, you're the money guy. And that's what people want from you. They want the money. There's no, you know, you, you can take all the credits you want or, you know, argue for all the credits that you want, but it doesn't make you one of them, so to speak. The same way, you know, I may be a, a, a Tish-educated screenwriter who I, I think I could write half the shit on, on television or, you know, half the movies that I see, but I'm always going to be on the outside looking in as long as I'm a reporter. I'm not in the industry. I'm covering the industry. I'm a part of the industry, but I'm not one of them. Um, TIFF, Toronto, 2020, moving forward. It's going to be a socially distanced festival. It's going, to be, it's going to be way scaled down. Don't expect to see 300, 350 titles anymore. Could be 50 to 100. They announced a handful of the first ones. There was nothing that, that you know, made me jump out of my seat and book a ticket to Canada. There's Idris Elba's Concrete Cowboy, Mark Wahlberg's Good Joe Bell. I'm sure there will be a bunch of other high-profile titles. But, you know, I, I don't think that uh, – I think there's going to be very few stars, very few – Industry press expected up in Toronto. I know I'm not in in a hurry to to get back out there, particularly with the numbers rising, which leads us to Tenet Watch. Has there been any movement on this movie? No. But, but, in related news, it sounds like Disney is going to be moving Mulan, which comes out seven days before Tenet. So you're telling me that Disney... This, you know, gigantic corporation is now going to move this gigantic movie Mulan and Warner Brothers is just going to sit tight the following week? Crazy. Not happening. Tenet is getting moved, whether it's to October, whether it's to December, whether it's to next fucking summer. But the chances of this movie coming out on July 31st are like, it's crazy to me. It's crazy to me that companies are still dating movies for early July and, and, and August uh, you know, like we got a trailer for the Broken Hearts Gallery, which looks like a cute movie with, with my gal, uh, Geraldine Viswanathan. Nathan, but are you shitting me? Look at the guy, look at it outside. You're going to release a movie a month from now? Warner Brothers isn't that stupid. This movie's never coming out. The only stupid person would have to be someone who believes that it is. Um, Showtime moved up the Comey rule That's now going to come out before the election uh, The cast, Jeff Daniels in particular Was up in arms He left, uh, I think he was playing Atticus Finch On Broadway and To Kill a Mockingbird He left that to, to make this series 
And, and so then to, to hear that they were going to hold it until after the election, he was pissed. Billy Ray was pissed. He was disappointed. He wrote a letter to his cast and under uh, enormous uh, public pressure, show, uh, Viacom is now moving up the date. Uh, it'll air at the end of September. Um, Collider, a couple of cool things. Collider is announcing a 15th anniversary Constantine panel. We even got Keanu Reeves for that one. I was not a big Constantine guy, but that's why I'm not leading this Q&A. Uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun if you are. Um, check out uh, my, my Kill Bill trivia with uh, Video Drew. I went over on Video Drew's channel, did some Kill Bill trivia uh, with her, some very good questions. Um, Boots Riley, who's Sorry to Bother You, was maybe the worst movie I saw a couple years ago. And I know that is a very, very unpopular opinion. I didn't care for blind spotting either, guys. It's not that I'm a racist. I just didn't like these movies. Uh, and so Boots Riley storming back, though, with this project, I Am Virgo. It's going to start Jarrell Jerome as a 13-foot-tall black man in Oakland. That is a cool premise. So Boots Riley, all is forgiven if you, if you, can, uh, if you, can, if you can get me with this I Am Virgo. It sounds really interesting. I plan to watch it. Um, Hamilton is dropping a couple of fucks when it debuts on Disney Plus in a week or two. Uh, yeah, it's getting censored, but in order for families to enjoy it, Lin-Manuel is literally giving two fucks up. Uh, well, you know, why is the NPAAA such hard asses about language anymore? I have no idea. I know six-year-olds who are, who are dropping F-bombs all day. Um, I, I think that uh, all those kinds of rules and regulations need to be looked at again. Um, because what, what is the difference between one fuck and two fucks and three fucks? Like, I, I just, I don't understand. You don't want, you know, your Disney plus movie to be Goodfellas or anything like that, but whatever. Uh, Cobra Kai moving to Netflix. That's exciting because I, I watched the first episode, maybe two episodes on YouTube. I was into it, but I never went back because who the hell is watching uh, a whole show on YouTube. So the fact that it's going to be on Netflix uh, definitely increases the likelihood that I will give it a shot at some date. JK Simmons has already shot his next cameo as J Jonah Jameson in, in the Marvel universe or the Sony, the Spumco or whatever the hell it is, who knows where we're going to see JK Simmons pop up. Um, but I would imagine it's actually going to be in the MCU proper as opposed to just another Spider-Man movie. Uh, God, what else? Hugh Jackman, Michael Mann, that Ferrari movie. Yeah, we've been reading about this for 10 years. It, it, it took another uh, step in get, getting closer to actually happening. Um, Ian Holm died this, this week, didn't he? That's another one where it's like everyone's calling him Bilbo from, from Lord of the Rings. I guess that's better than, you know, director of Batman movies. But to me, Ian Holm has, has an incredible uh, filmography. I loved him as Ash and Alien. He's done a lot of good work, and so to just be reduced to fucking Bilbo Baggins from Lord of the Rings, I don't know about that one. I don't know if that sat well with me. Um, whew, Jesus Christ, there's still so much. You guys see the, the, the video of the guy cleaning the seats at Cinemark? Like, do you want to go sit in that chair now and just take a chemical bath while watching Tenet or whatever movie you think is going to be playing? Is that is that what we want? Movie theaters are screwed. I, I really held out hope for the theatrical experience. To me, there's nothing like it. I love going to movie theaters, but man, when you take a look at just the, forget the safety and stuff, the finances of it, I don't see how theaters can continue, you know, running movies in every single theater and projectors and sound and all that electricity and paying, you know, more staffers to, to wipe, you know, seats down. And, and it's just, the, the finances are even higher for theaters. I think, I think they're in a bad way right now, man. Um, oof, God, Scoob, speaking of which, Scoob is going to go to HBO Max. I'm so glad I didn't spend $25 to rent that because uh, I, I grew up a big Scooby-Doo fan and part of me did want to watch the new movie, but I, yeah, it seemed like a little bit too steep for a movie that I knew wouldn't be terribly great. Uh, we got a first look this week at Regina King's One Night in, in Miami, which puts together a whole, uh, all, you know, a bunch of black cultural leaders like uh, Jim Brown and Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, um, and, and Cassius Clay. That's going to be a very interesting movie, uh, and I imagine that that you know distributors are, are going to want to pick that up. But it could also be a streaming play, a smart streaming play. We also saw first look at Harvey Keitel as Meyer Lansky, the gangster in this movie. 
Lansky that's going to co-star Sam Worthington. We found out Bad Hair, Justin Simeon's Sundance movie, is moving to Hulu. Or not moving. It's going to debut on Hulu in October. Not not a great movie, but a, but a good one. It was a little messy, a little long. Could have used a haircut, as I wrote in my review. But definitely worth uh, seeking out. I've seen far worse uh, genre films. Um, I read something this week. It was a column at Variety, and it was all, it was like lamenting the fact that When They See Us lost the Emmys, that it only won for Jarrell Jerome. And listen, Mike, Mike Schneider is a really smart guy, a writer that I respect. But When They See Us, When They See Us is an excellent, excellent series. Ava DuVernay did an amazing job with it. And it should have won maybe all the Emmys, except for the fact that it went up against an absolute masterpiece juggernaut of an awards contender in Chernobyl. And so I don't think that the TV Academy or whoever are racists or not inclusive because Chernobyl beat this black miniseries when they see us. That is just a ridiculous, absurd, like, how, how, do, you, how do you say something like that, okay? I, I don't understand it. I would love to have a debate with Mike Schneider about when they see us versus Chernobyl. Like, I'm sorry. Every now and then you just, you run into a fucking juggernaut like that. And again, I would have given when they see us all the awards if Chernobyl hadn't come out when it did. If Chernobyl had come out the year before, the year after, when they see us would have cleaned up at the Emmys, but it didn't. And it happened to be in the same category. Like, Them's the breaks. Maybe when they see us, maybe Netflix should have held it a year and look. If that's that's all they wanted was the awards, maybe they should have looked at the calendar and said, "Man, this Chernobyl series that could be scary. Let's delay it a year." I just don't know what Mike tonight like. The idea that Hollywood is just this full of like this fucking racist. It's it's a lie. It's a lie. Um. I also love Variety, getting the exclusive with the sax man. As soon as Joel Shoemaker dies, like, you couldn't go get fucking Matthew McConaughey or Michael Douglas or any of these industry luminaries who you know you have access to. You go and get the sax man from the Lost Boys, who no one even knows the fucking guy's name. He's known as the sax man. Let me explain something to Variety. Your job is to get those heavy hitters. Collider's jobs, the slash films of the world, the IO9s, it's our job to get those fringe voices like the Saxman. That is like a fun IO9 slash film story that those sites now don't even get to do because Variety has to go get the fucking Saxman. Like, give me a break. Like, even, like, just what are you doing? What are you doing? Tom Wartenberg returning to uh, Open Road. Um, he's going to be advising them on, on matters. Love Tom Wartenberg. One of the great executives in this industry. Uh, was at the helm of, you know, uh, Lionsgate during Crash. He also steered uh, Spotlight to a Best Picture win at, uh, at Open Road. Love Tom Wartenberg. Would love to see that company find its footing again. I also, you know, while I'm on the trades, I got to call them out for it. They run all these apology stories. So-and-so apologizes for this. So-and-so, sorry about that. There was no coverage of the initial incident. The trades are so afraid to cover certain stuff until somebody apologizes. It's fucking insane. I don't know what is going on these days at a couple of the trades, but it is bad out there. One trade I will give credit for, who we talked about their story earlier, that on that uh, Michael Keaton Batman story, that was my pal Umberto Gonzalez, who had a great week at the wrap. Um, so congrats, Umberto. I mean, I think we're, we're running out of time. Uh, I'll, look, I'll look and take a couple of quick mailbag questions. Let me see what we got here. How can I complain, make fun of theaters and theater owners for attempting to salvage their businesses, but also opine about the theater experience and complain when films go straight to streaming? I'm not complaining about films going straight to streaming. I mean, are you talking about now, Ayal Shakar, or before the pandemic? Because those are two completely different realities that we were living in. Um, I understand that theater owners are trying to save their businesses, and, and I under, you know, but but it's all it's just all about money. It's all about their bottom line. It's not about safety. It's not about what is the right thing to do. So that's why I'm critical of it because they all fucking know what the right thing to do is, and I'm not going to sit in a movie theater until. Adam Aron or whatever the fucking guy name guy's name is at AMC. If he's going to sit two seats away from me, then I'll fucking go. 
okay? When Christopher Nolan wants to come to the Grove and watch Tenet with me two seats away, then I'll go see Tenet with a goddamn mask on. Until then, like, there's just no fucking way. Juhana Linaverta, we have a deal. Deal. 50 pounds or whatever the hell that is, Tenet's not coming out in July. There's no way Warner Brothers is going to play with people's lives like that. Well, Woody Woodpecker, what's my metric on what I deem to be a story worth following or reporting on and what I'll let go? That, that's a case-by-case basis. You know, half of it's dictated by my own taste, half, t- half of it is dictated on what I think people will click on. Although, then again, I also really don't care what people click on. If I think it's interesting, I'm going to write it because chances are if I think it's interesting, you will too. Best bagel in L.A., Tank of Snokes, that would be NYBD, New York Bagel and Deli. I like to go to the one uh, on National in Palms. I always run into my buddy Andy Wallenstein of Variety over there with his son. Happy birthday to Andy Wallenstein as well. It is his birthday today. But, yeah, if you're looking for the best bagel in L.A., definitely check out NYBD. Uh, do I think many saints of Newark, Laszlo Morphine, do I think many saints of Newark could move to HBO Max? perhaps for an Oscar run instead of the March release date wouldn't be the worst idea. I don't know if that's going to be an actual Oscar movie. I don't know if that's the way that they're really looking at it. I also think it's the kind of movie that could, you know, flatline in theaters. I don't know if people are really going to be running out for that one. Um, so yeah, it's, it does seem like more of a BOD slash HBO max play. Uh, no news on the I am Pilgrim movie, which actor would I like to see get a big break? An actor primarily known for a niche TV show or stuck in supporting roles that I think would make a great uh, a great star vehicle. I mean, you know, I'm just going to say Tom Pelfrey just because he blew me away on Ozark this season. I, I, you know, I don't know how he would do as a leading man, but I'd be down to find out. I would, I would go see that movie. Uh, Will Dragulis, even though he says he won't, do I think we'll ever see Sean Penn in movies acting again? I think that he's – isn't he in Flag Day, the movie that he directed with Miles Teller? And Brolin, I think he has an on-screen role in that, but if he, if he doesn't, forgive me. I uh, would love to see him have even a small role in the next Tarantino or PTA movie. Him and PTA would be amazing. PTA is still trying to cast that older producer role or, or director or whatever it is in his new movie. Sean Penn would kind of be interesting for that one. Ricky Davila, love the show. Great to see a blunt, honest opinion. What's my favorite, personal favorite year in film of the 2010s? I have no idea off the top of my head. Uh, just watched David Drano, just watched Official Secrets with Kira Knightley, wondering why she doesn't get talked about more when discussing best young actresses. I think Kira Knightley is a solid actress, but she hasn't done anything that has really blown me away. There's no signature role there. I mean, what is it? Atonement, I guess. She was in that, right? Is she in Atonement? I don't even fucking remember. Um, but uh, yeah, she's just, she's very British. It's not that she's cold. Um, but she always just seems, she, I don't know. I don't want to say she always seems to play the same characters either because she does surprise. But yeah, she's just kind of like, I don't know. I, I mean, Official Secrets in particular, that was like a two, two and a half star movie. It was a fine little British film, but, you know, very small. Not, not, not an awards contender. I, want, I, once arranged, uh, I once arranged a cocaine deal for Keira Knightley, but that's a story for another day. Uh, my favorite type of monkey... Uh, Stephanie Monkey. I don't know Heimlich Maneuver. Jeff Herber, do I think smaller budgeted uh, potential Oscar nominees will be first back to finish production? Um, I, honestly, I have no idea about that stuff either. Like, it seems like all we're hearing about is the big movies resuming production because that's what the press is most interested in. Uh, but yeah, you would think that that if you had a potential Oscar contender on your hands, like someone like Paul Schrader thinks he does with the card counter, yeah, you'd think that you'd rush to finish those, although now you have two extra months. Uh, although the Golden Globes are sticking to end of February, so they're going to come two months before the Oscars. Seems crazy. Anyways, I'm getting the hiccups, guys. Uh, I think I'm, I'm going to wrap up the show there. Thank you for sending me your questions. Thank you for bearing uh, with me through this, this uh, long episode that was interrupted by technical difficulties. I'm the Insnider. I don't know how much longer I'll be the Insnider. I, I, I feel like I'm overdue for a, a long, long vacation from Twitter. So enjoy the tweets while you can. You can find me there. You can find me on Instagram and at Cameo as well. Order some fun Cameos, guys. I am just a blast. You can tell me what to say, how to say it, and where to say it. 
All right, guys, have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy Eurovision on Netflix. I think that's out this weekend. Uh, yeah, just stay safe out there. Wear those masks. Keep watching those hands. Can't let the numbers spike again. I'll see you when I see you. Later. Hello, Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. The Drinkworks Home Bar by Keurig is the perfect start to set any holiday vibe. The Home Bar makes over 30 cocktails, brews, ciders, and more, all at the push of a button. From cosmopolitans to old fashions, each pod contains real ingredients and premium spirits. Insert the pod and let the Home Bar do the work. Go to drinkworks.com to order your Home Bar and see all available drinks. Drinkworks. Press play. Keurig is a registered trademark of Keurig Green Mountain, Inc. Used under license. Please enjoy responsibly.